place. And I was given the opportunity to be able to, to be able to share a message with you all today. And as many of you already know, and as some of you might not know, our youth is doing a six-week series in which the title of the series is called Living on Purpose. And this series is composed of six questions. And this is the second week of our series. And I was given the question to answer what is purpose. And this is the second week of our series. And the first question that Brother Sam Overchenko preached on two weeks ago, he answered the question of what does it mean to truly live? And so before we go on and we discuss and we answer the question of what is purpose, I kind of first want to go over a little bit of what Sam talked about when he answered the question of what does it mean to live. And as I was listening to a sermon, and I was kind of examining in my own thoughts what he preached about, as I listened to it and I re-listened to it, kind of the main theme of the message that he was preaching on, the, the, the answer to the question of what does it truly mean to live, the answer basically was that what it truly means to live means that we have to actually die. That might seem like a contradictory statement because how could you live if you're dead? Does it make sense? But it makes sense in the spiritual terms, in terms of what the Bible teaches about humanity is that humanity is sinful. And in Psalm 51, in verse 5, the writer says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And now that's a problem because what the Bible also teaches, what the Bible teaches concerning sin is that sin brings forth death. And in Romans 6.23, Apostle Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death. Everyone who sins deserves to die. And so when you look at humanity, and you take humanity and you add sin to humanity, you get a humanity that is basically dead. Not, as ba not basically, but actually it is dead. And now, humanity that is dead because of sin cannot overcome or defeat sin since sin has already overcome and defeated us. We can't put up a fight. Sin has already killed us. And we're bound to sin. As the, psalm, as the psalmist wrote, that we were born in sin. And all that we've ever really known to do is sin. If you had the choice to do something good and to, and to choose, to, if you had the choice to choose whether to do good or whether to do bad, you would choose to do bad every time. So that's what the Bible teaches. But the good news of the gospel is that although we were dead in our sin, Christ made us alive by putting to death that which made us dead. What does that mean? He means that means that he defeated sin. He defeated sin and therefore also defeated death because what is the Bible say? It says that sin brings forth death. So he defeated both of them at the same time. It is when 
we put our faith in him, it is when we believe in him who defeated sin and defeated death, then we are made alive in him. And the main uh, passage of scripture that Sam was preaching on was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and we can read it. And Apostle Paul says, And you he made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins. The fact that you are alive, that you are alive is nothing that you have done, but it is because of him. He is the one that made you alive. And coming back to our beginning statement of what it means to truly live, the answer to that being that we have to die, what that means is that when we believe in him, that our old man who was born in sin and loved to sin dies. And when God looks at us, he no longer sees us in our sinful condition, but he sees Christ. And that is the essence of what the gospel is all about. The fact that we were in sin, the fact that Christ defeated sin, and when we put our faith in him, that's when sin is defeated in our life as well. Now that's good news. Amen? And so that was basically what Sam preached about. And if we would like more reference on what it means to truly live, I'd recommend that we all go home and read Romans chapter 5 and 6. But going back to our initial question that we have to answer is what is purpose? As I was studying and I was preparing for answering this question, what I did first was kind of just look up the definition of what purpose is. And the, defini and the definition of purpose is the reason, for, the reason for which something is done or created, or the reason for which something or someone exists. And that makes sense. And I want to just give us a few small examples of what purpose I guess looks like is that when you think about the when you think about a, when you think about a car you know the, the the reason why cars were invented and created was for the purpose of getting us from point A to point B faster for for the purpose of traveling you know the the purpose for why glasses were created was so that people who can't really see far or see that well could see far and can see well that's why glasses were created, right? And, you know, the purpose of why flowers were created was so that they could smell and look good and, you know, sit on your kitchen table and get gifted to you when you get baptized and, you know, make her go on another date with you. You know, it was the purpose of flowers. And I'll just give one more, I'll give one more example. Uh, the purpose of why you go to work is, make, is to make money. And the purpose of making money is so that you can provide for yourself and provide for your future family if you don't already have one. And to be able to be a part of and function in the society in which we live in. Now, these are just a few small examples of purpose. But if you think about it, there, there's pretty much a, a purpose for everything that exists. And there's a purpose for everything that we do, no matter how big or small. And, you know, there's even a purpose of why you're here today. You know, some of, some of you might be here because 
you know, your, your parents made you go to Bible school or so you're here for the purpose of wanting to please your parents. You know, other people might be here just to see and hang out with their friends. Other people are here to worship God and glorify him, to hear of his word. So there's a purpose of why each and every single one of us are here today. But I think the, the bigger question, or the bigger questions that I believe we need to ask is, what is pretty much the ultimate purpose of everything? You know, why has all of creation been created? You know, what, what is our purpose? And why do we exist? And this is what we'll be talking about today. And the three things that I want us to all kind of take from this discussion today, I won't be answering all these things at the same time. I'll kind of just be going from point to point. But three things that I want us to all take today is what is the purpose of man? What, what is our purpose? What is the purpose of our salvation? And the last point that I want us to take is the tragedy of that purpose not being fulfilled in our lives. And when we look at Scripture and what Scripture says concerning our purpose, I think that it's very easy and clear to be able to see all throughout Scripture is that the chief purpose of man, as well as all of creation, is to glorify God. And I'll also be kind of jumping from Scripture to Scripture and passage to passage, but I think that the main text that we'll be staying in today is in the book of Romans. And so if you guys want to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 36, this is kind of the main passage of Scripture, the theme of what the message is going to be about. And so we could read Romans chapter 11, verse 36, where it says, For of him and through him and for him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So it's clear. Everything that God has created is of God, through God, and for God. Everything that was created of and through him was also created for him. He created all things for himself. And Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, this is what Apostle Paul writes about Christ. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. In another passage of scripture, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So what is this saying? What is this saying? He's saying that all of creation was created 
to point back to God and who he is. And to kind of give us an example of being able to see his attributes in creation, we could turn to Genesis chapter 1, when, which is the creation story. So Genesis chapter 1, and we'll start from verses 3 and 4. And it says that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Continuing on to verses 9 and 10, it writes that, Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called the sea. And God saw that it was good. And continuing on to verses 11 and 12, he says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And verses 17 and 18, he says that God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verses 20 through 21 says that let, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. In verses 24 and 25, he says that, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was. Can you guys say it? And the last example, in verse 27, the last of his creation, says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then skipping to verse 31, after he has already created everything that he has already created, he says that God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And now what is seen in creation? What attribute of God is seen in his creation? His goodness. And something good that was created was created by God who is in himself the essence of all goodness. And the goodness of all creation comes from and points back to the glorious goodness of the creator. He is seen everywhere in all of creation. 
And we were also made for that same purpose of glorifying and reflecting him. But the tragedy of human fallenness is that man has failed to fulfill his purpose of glorifying him and reflecting him. In Romans 3:23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And do we understand the tragedy of the fact that we have sinned? And I want to read us a quote from Paul Washer, which I like that will kind of bring this into perspective, but this is what Paul Washer says. He says, imagine this for a moment. God stands there on the day of creation, and he tells planets to put themselves in certain orbits in space, and they all bow down and say amen and obey him. He tells stars to find their place in the sky and to follow his decree to the letter, and they all bow down and obey him. He tells mountains to be lifted up and valleys to be cast down, and they bow down and worship. He tells the brave sea that you will come to this point, and you will come no further, and the sea adores. And yet God tells you to come and worship him, and you say no. And how wicked really is our sin? And I want to give us, and I want to give us another thing to kind of put this in perspective. I'll steal this from C.S. Lewis. He writes that the reality is that God has created man as a man creates a machine to run on gas. God created the human machine, that's me and you, to run on himself. And the tragedy of man is that all of us have chosen to no longer fill ourselves with God, but to fill ourselves with sin. But when we do that, we're not able to really function properly. And if you put water in a car, it's useless. And when we fill ourselves with sin, we're also useless. Because that was not the purpose for why, were we, why we were created. We were made to run on him. And if you want a vain, empty, useless, meaning, meaningless life, then go and live for yourself. And let your God be your stomach. That whatever you want, whatever you desire, go and do it. But the more that you fill yourself with anything other than God, you'll find yourself not really being able to function properly. And that's the tragedy of every single one of us. And in Romans chapter 1, There's an even more extreme example of people who refuse to glorify God. And I'll read from verse 21 all the way down to verse 32. It says, And because 
Although they, although they knew God, they did not thank God or glorify him as God, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to the uncleanness and the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their body between themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, who worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty, the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And we see people in today's society who looks like God has handed them over to that reprobate mind. Many of the, much of the culture today has refused to give glory to God, and therefore God has given them up to a reprobate mind. What does that look like? What that looks like is you see people denying their own biological sexual identity, thinking that they're a woman when in reality they're a man, or thinking that they're a man when in reality they're a woman. It's absolute insanity. But what are they looking for? They're looking for some sort of purpose, some sort of identity, some sort of love, some sort of comfort, some sort of gratification, some kind of satisfaction. But it is when we go looking for these things in ourselves that in the end we will only be able to find hatred, loneliness, rage, despair. But it is when we go looking for Christ, it is when we give Him glory that all these things that we are looking for will actually come. Because He is the essence of joy. He is the essence of peace. He is the essence of comfort. And when it comes down to the gospel, when it comes down to the fact that we have sinned and the fact that God has made a way for salvation, when it comes down to him giving us salvation from our sins, the purpose of our, of our salvation is for the same purpose. It's for his glory. And going back to Romans chapter 11, I know we read verse 36, but I kind of I want to go, go backwards a little bit and read from verse 33 and go all the way down to verse 36. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both 
of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it shall be repaid to him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And now Paul writes, verse 36, after 11 chapters about, about talking about how God has saved us. And our salvation, the fact that God has saved us, is of him, through him, and also for him. And Psalm 115, chapter, Psalm chapter 115, verse 1 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness. And what we need to understand is that our salvation is not about us, but it's all about him. Because through salvation, the attributes of his love and his grace and his mercy are able to be seen. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he talks about this. He says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And continuing on to... In the same chapter, verses 11 through 14, he continues this. He says, In him also we have, attained, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession through the praise of his glory. The purpose of God saving us, the purpose of God giving us an inheritance in heaven, is to glorify him. When it comes down to us receiving an invitation to heaven through the salvation in which God has given us, we need to understand that heaven is a place not just where there's going to be gold streets and there's going to be angels flying around, but heaven is a place where we're, where we're going to be glorifying Him. And in Revelation chapter 4, Verses 8 through 11. It says, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around it with them, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, whenever the living creatures, giving glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power 
For you created all things, and by your will they exist that were created. Everything that God has created, the reason why he created you and why he created me was for the purpose of his own glory. And it is when we live for ourselves that in the end we'll only be able to find hatred, ruin, despair, loneliness. But it is when we live for him, it is when we live for something greater than ourselves that we'll be able to be actually functioning properly. Because to live for him was for the purpose of why we're, was the purpose of why we were created. And to conclude, so all things have been purpose, all things that have been created have been for the purpose of glorifying him. And the fact is that we have fallen short of fulfilling that purpose. But he has made a way for us to return to that initial purpose of glorifying him, that's salvation. And to whom he saves it will be to the praise of his glorious love and to the praise of his grace. And to those who refuse to glorify him, as we read in Romans chapter 1, they will all be sent to hell to receive the punishment that they deserve. And it will be to the praise of his glorious justice and wrath. So everything that is done, everything that has ever happened, everything that you do is for a purpose. And it is, e and it is either for yourself or it is for God. And that might be hard to take in. But I just want us all to examine of whose side we're on. Of whether we're living for ourselves or whether we're living for the glory of God. And at that we could stand and we could pray.